0: hello everybody kyle here welcome back to the chaos and shadow podcast i'm joined here by my co-host pegan pegan how you doing today i'm doing good enjoying
1: my sunday how are you
0: very same we just wrapped up doing the first real seance in the new house last night so the rpn haunted hq had its very first seance we tested it up on our revelator network site Thank you a ton to everyone that showed up. There is a little bit of work that they need to do on their streaming tools. So just to let people know, we are going to be doing more of these seances live on Twitch going forward. And all through Halloween, we're going to be doing them every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. It's 4 p.m. Pacific. So just to let everyone know, it was an absolute blast. What do you think, Pagan?
1: It was so much fun. And there was... A lot happening last night, a lot of really cool stuff. It was just really interesting to talk with some of the spirits of the RP and HQ. And we got to really connect with them in a lot of fun ways. So if you missed it, join us next time because we're probably going to continue to talk to them and yeah. some other cool stuff, especially since there are not one portal, but two portals apparently in the house. So we're going to have all sorts of cool stuff hopefully coming through.
0: I really hope that's the case. So every Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, and um, I think I can tease it here to say that looks like our good, good, good friend, Katie Webb. Is going to be joining us for our seance on august 21st so look out for that one we're going to do these over at twitch.tv forward slash kyle paranormal um, many of you have already subscribed over there at some point or another uh, we're doing some back and forth just trying new software but again we want to put it up on twitch because it's going to make it extremely accessible to people uh, we tried different streaming places for it in the past but with Twitch, a lot of you are going to be able to watch it on your TV with Amazon Fire stick sort of stuff. You're going to be able to watch it on your phone because it's got mobile apps. You're going to be able to watch it on your desktop computers and all around. So any of that trouble we had in the past when we were trying to stream a little bit through Gilded and all of that um, just didn't work out wonderfully because their limited streamability. Twitch will have us covered on that end. So go drop a follow. That's twitch.tv forward slash Kyle Paranormal, 7 p.m. Eastern uh, every Saturday through August Halloween, at least. And then on Thursdays, this is where Gilded, our, our chat server, comes back into play. That on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, we are doing our ESP group meetups. That's a pretty cool thing where we take those very lightly. They're very much two-way communication, a little bit more than during the seances. The seances, it's usually Pagan and I in a voice chat, and uh, we're doing just actual experiments the whole time. We have chat talking along and communicating with Peggy, but usually i'm in you know away from the headphones and all that stuff away from the screen <laughs> on thursdays it is a 100 back and forth we all get into a voice channel if you don't have a mic you're welcome to join us in Guilden and just chat with text but it's a conversation about planning the saturday seances mm-hmm. this is where we talk about what worked what didn't how we can improve it what sort of amplification we might need to do so on and so forth uh and this episode we're recording today, so I don't digress too much. This episode today is all about setting the scene of where the RPNHQ HQ is, uh, because we have a very, very historic area not far from the house called the Black Cross Cemetery. It just goes by Black Cross a lot of the time. And, and And to set the stage, this is talking back to the 1918 Spanish influenza that came through. So extraordinarily timely, since we're in another global pandemic (laughs) this is a story of uh, many 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 immigrants specifically like my own lineage being czechoslovakian uh, immigrants died by the thousands because again you know america doesn't value uh doesn't value immigrants let's just be honest anyone that moves here gets always unpreferential treatment and this is going to be a little bit of a story of that so we also want to take this with the utmost care and respect i should allude that this is this is a big thing in our area. This is something that most kids know about. Um, so again, it, it is a common tongue sort of thing in this in this neck of the woods. But we'll also be setting the scene. So in our future seances, there's a good chance some of these spirits may meander through. I mean, I think my house actually served as a hospital that took in some of these folks. When we had a doctor's office here. So yeah, I don't know if you got any of that energy last night, Pagan, but uh
1: we did actually get uh we got um we spoke with the doctor who um I believe was the doctor who had the doctor's office within the house um I believe that was Dr. Scott, if I remember yeah. telling me his name, and we spoke with him. we also said it, that a few patients did die within the house. They did say that at least ten of his patients did die. And seven of those patients have remained in the house. Hmm. And the interesting thing about that is they didn't, they're not stuck there. Like that was one of the things that I did ask them. I'm like, are you stuck? Do you need help moving on? And they said, no, we have chosen to stay. So, For one reason or another, they have chosen to stay within the house or the area. I don't know if they actually died during the uh, Spanish influenza pandemic, but I do know that they were patients of Dr. Scott's.
0: Interesting. So there is a, a bit of research that needs to be done on my part and um, just as our, our whole volunteer group going forward. Shout out to Ashley for these amazing notes that we're going off of today. Uh, Ashley put together just a fantastic overview of both Butler County, Pennsylvania, the Black Cross itself and some other paranormal claims going on around here. Hi, Mr. Louie He's getting up. Sorry if you hear clicky clacks in the background. Um, <laughs> but So uh, where do we go with this one? Let me see. So I want to tell people that off the top of my head, having gone into our little town nearby just a couple weeks ago, I scouted out some of the historic buildings in town that have plaques on them. A lot of them say that they were created around 1820. So to give an idea of when this house was built, it would be very, very, very close in that time. I would say, give or take 20 to 50 years on that one. Um... So we're looking at probably I mean the the earliest photo we have of the place is dated 1890 and you can tell then not only was the house established but it had also established a lot of uh its neighboring buildings that served to facilitate this main structure. It turns out this main house uh I I so I've been told by family and people that have done some research in the past that this was put together by I believe, German lumbering folks in the area. So people that were doing woodworking and all that, that actually owned a lumberyard nearby, they um, had created this house. And that's the vague history I know of it. But talking about spirits being trapped, I mean, or, or not trapped, but optionally staying, it seems to have the tools for the job. I mean, the basement is massive limestone blocks down there. And we've all heard kind of that stone tape theory that, um, stone can resonate that energy and instead of trapping folks, I mean, it's very possible as I see it, that you've mentioned portals too, but I, I guess with all that stone work down there with them, literally some of the people here maybe actually carving and crafting this house with their own hands and tools that maybe that's what helps a lot of folks stay here. You know, maybe it's got that kind of amplification energy, not to mention my mother did a really good job of trying to restore it to its, uh restore to its means you know she kept the house looking very appropriate didn't ever do any remodels that really shunned the history of the place or anything like that a lot of it was just restoration
1: work so it has that vibe to it it does have that vibe and it was very fun to get to see that especially last night during the seance you know getting to see that it's like the history is written on the walls yeah. in like a figurative way. And it's just, it has that very wonderful historic vibe. And from connecting with the spirits and all this, the stuff that we did last night during the seance, I will say that none of the spirits seemed angry, pissed off, any of that crazy stuff that you would think that, you know, would be dark and sinister and all that because of all the death. No, they were actually very pleasant. They were very willing to communicate. They were very willing to kind of tell their story. The only hesitation I did receive was I did ask a question of the doctor and asked if he was alive and working during the pandemic. And I got a yes, but it was one of those yeses that intuitively was like, I will answer this question, but I don't want to talk about this. So if that's the case... maybe it's just as traumatic as we're seeing with our healthcare people right now that they don't really want to talk about it either. They don't want to talk about the drama and the horrors and everything else that's going on with it. So if that's the case, and I believe in the notes, it said that something like 60,000 lives were uh, claimed by the Spanish flu in 1918 in Pennsylvania. You're right. That's a lot of people. That's a lot. And if this doctor actually did serve during that time, He probably has a little bit of trauma that he just doesn't want to talk about. And I can respect that.
0: Solidly agree. I think on that note, let's dive right into the history of Butler County, Pennsylvania. So the area is named after Revolutionary War hero, General Richard Butler, a lawyer, legislator, soldier, and Indian agent who was killed in 1791 in a battle with Miami Indians. And his death occurred at the defeat of St. Clair in Ohio. Now, to talk a little bit about the background, the industry, coal has been very important to the area, first for personal use, then later for commercial production. Limestone is massive. Here you mentioned those blocks in the basement, but the Mm -hmm. mining of limestone itself was a common business and also oil booms, which took place in the early 1860s, but has led to a continued natural gas boom, even to this day, where we often have gas wells up and down the streets, burning and doing all kinds of that stuff. Interestingly enough, when we talk about going forward in history towards the Civil War period uh, and a little bit before, this served as a big part of the Underground Railroad and getting slaves from the South to the North. So uh, B- Butler County and
1: Pennsylvania at large, very, very, very historic. If we choose- That sounds very historic and really awesome. I didn't even realize that... You know, growing up in the West, we learning about the Underground Railroad was definitely different growing up in the West because it wasn't as prevalent mm-hmm. because it didn't matter. It, it's, as sad as it is, it didn't matter as much because it was in the West. Now, um, but it is really cool that even so far north as Pennsylvania, that was a part of the Underground Railroad. That's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, this would be about the area. And I'm, I'm drawing off my old, old history here. But this would be about the area that was considered safe-ish, um, uh, and I don't want to make anyone think that the North was like super great. As, as it was always described to me by my history teachers in the past, it wasn't that the North didn't want slaves; it's that the North couldn't utilize slavery as well. Uh, so again, I don't want to like shine in a huge moral lights on the North and make them sound like a bunch of heroes. It's just, uh, as my one professor who actually, um, funny enough, the the th- some of the things that Ashley wrote in here as uh, sources for this, he actually penned some of them. So that's really freaking cool to see that oh, wow. in here. But one of these things would be that when you were in the South, uh, the slave trade was more based on plantation work, where up North, it was more mining work. And his description of why the North shied away from slavery is you just don't want to give slaves pickaxes, dynamite and all those other things because that's the tools for revolution. So, again, I don't mm-hmm. want to make people think that, you know, it's, it's all good and groovy. The whole time period was pretty effed and in America, especially, we're still obviously dealing with a lot of people that haven't let it go. And Pennsylvania has folks that fly the Confederate flag up here, which perplexes me because you would have been shot in the Civil War if you flew the Confederate flag up here. You would actually have been an enemy of the Union. So the the, the younger folks up here, and I guess just the generally stupider folks up here, don't have any idea of history. Uh, but yeah, it's <laughs> it got a very interesting kind of piece in that way. Because The Civil War uh, Battle of Gettysburg takes place about four hours from me or so. And so you can see that during the Civil War, um, this area actually had the South pushing into it in some ways. I believe Butler County was actually readied at one point uh, for a battle in the Civil War. didn't come and didn't take place, but it was a threatened sort of thing. So, again, pardon me, that's drawing off my 10-year-old Uh, history brain right there but let's talk (laughs) about butler county prior to 1796 for a sec the first people of Mm -hmm. the area were the delaware indians shawnee seneca and the uh, Muncies, I think it's pronounced. Again, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. It's been so long since I've done Native American tribe names. So the principal way of transportation was small watercraft due to the rivers and tributaries around the western Butler County had two trails important to the First Peoples. George Washington was told to carry a letter to the French uh, to end their occupation in the region. This would be tied to the French and Indian War itself. There was conflict between the British and the French. Um, And he camped along Slippery Rock Creek. So for anyone that's familiar with the college Slippery Rock, that's where I went. I went to Slippery Rock University. And there's all kinds of markations uh, or demarcations, whatever you call it, up and down the roadways here to show that this was Washington's trail. There's some interesting history in that way. Um, We have reenacted or rebuilt and restored forts in the area. So we talk about like paranormal activity. There's literally like reconstructions of these forts and uh, a lot of battlefields i mean a lot between Mm -hmm. french and indian war which is pretty vicious and then the revolutionary war and the civil war pa's got that thick thick war history and i think that leads to a lot of the just high energy in general i i don't know that it's always specifically related to a battle But I think a lot of the things here get amplified just because the amount of chaos that ensued.
1: You know, that brings to question a mind that we've heard, you know, some of the people that have come on the show, like Katie and Michelle, uh, talk about with the imprints of energy that are left behind and can be left behind even by people of today and, you know, talking about the reenactments and, you know, honoring that history. Yes, we should do that. But the question really does become how much energy is everybody stirring up on the paranormal level by having those reenactments or even just really reliving a big part of that violent history? That's a solid question. And, yeah, it, it really does bring to mind. I, you know, my husband and I were actually talking about this the other day about, uh how many people really want to relive the violence of the history, but they don't want to kind of take a step away and say, okay, yes, we should honor this, but we should also say, we shouldn't do this again <laughs> kind of thing. So it's very interesting to see how that plays out in the paranormal field, uh, especially as we go through and learn about all these things, which is really fun. So That's- I'd be interesting. I'd be interested to see how that plays out uh, with you living there and the house and everything. I really like
0: you brought that up because one of my favorite historians um, from over in England, her name is Ruth Goodman. And people may have heard me rave about some of her BBC programs, the Victorian farm, Edwardian farm. They go and actually Mm -hmm. full up reenact living on a farm in that time period, the tools, the, the trade, all that. And one question that she always gets asked about or, kind of gets placed in the in a position that makes it very obvious. She talks about she is a experimental historian, I think is how she likes to describe herself. And by that she means she goes and experiences it firsthand. She tries to reenact the way people cleaned their clothes, the way people cooked, and that's not a thing that's talked about very often. She actually explicitly says mm-hmm. there's very few books or resources that talk about the, quote, mundane things about living, most of it is centered around the war aspects. So she's like one of the few people in kind of her circles that at reenactment sort of things, she's not the one doing the war stuff. She's the one that's trying to, uh, you know, reenact just homesteading. And, And to Pennsylvania's credit, we actually grew up with a lot of reenacting of homesteading here. I remember in elementary school, we went to a place very close by and did like old school candle making and all kinds of things that were just specific to that time period, uh, which I give Pennsylvania credit for. I mean, I think that's cool that there's not just folks doing the battlefield reenactment. But again, I think what Ruth Goodman made clear to me through her lectures and such is, yeah, a lot of it's built around the chaos and the destruction and the death and mm-hmm. there's not a lot on the domestic lifestyle and it would be great to get a little bit more of that because those that was the majority of it was how people lived yes. their day to day not how people were out shooting each other on a battlefield and you know all the gory stuff but of course reenacting there's a there's a reenacting men type you know I've love, loved to do their battlefield stuff so ah, <laughs> there's a lot of that um as we want to dive down here just a little bit to talk about the revolutionary war it says that routine conflicts between the colonists and native americans allied with the british happened quite a bit um six nations of the iroquois confederacy were a group of the seneca the cayuga the ononda uh wait how do i say that onondaga The Oneida, the Mohawk, and the Tuscarora nations. Uh, Most of the confederacies backed England and the British soldiers. So talking about more of that conflict here. Um, General Broadhead led troops around Fort Pitt to keep colonists safe from the natives. Fort Pitt being what is now Pittsburgh today. And... A lot of the area there, it's, it's got, I mean, we could get really into the weeds, but if anyone's familiar with Pittsburgh, there's Fort Duquesne there. That's the name that the French had given it because uh-huh. they occupied it first. And then the British came through and pushed them out and burnt stuff down and rebuilt. And history is a violent act. Uh, we make our way. Into the Civil War, here it says many of the men from Butler County filled the ranks of the 134th Regiment. They saw action in Virginia, and the 137th Regiment um, didn't see action but buried the men killed in action. So close to 600 to 700 men were drafted from this area in total, which that's a lot. I mean, looking back at the time period, we're talking Civil War, 1800s. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of people getting drafted into the ranks and, you know, stepping up and volunteering for that. It's, uh, those were brutal conditions, too. Huge amounts of malnutrition, um, boots not being available. So a lot of people just wrapping their feet in blankets and cloth. I mean, it is a rough time to be a soldier. We then can take a look towards the Black Cross itself as we move forward. Just north of Winfield Township, um, this cemetery has a spot along the road. Prior to the Spanish flu, many Polish and Slovak immigrants moved into the area following the expanded industries of limestone, mining for sand uh, sand plants, I should say, and salt works. So this grave itself is over 100 years old at this point. In November of 1918, the Spanish flu claimed 60 Thousand lives in Pennsylvania, about twelve deaths a day. Again, a lot for it's an insane. area. That,
1: yeah, that is a lot. I mean, by the time you know, you figure just the state of Pennsylvania lost sixty thousand lives, and then you figure six hundred to seven hundred men from the Civil War. That's a lot of people, especially for that time period. That's a lot of people. Yep. Goodness gracious. And most of these people taken by the Spanish
0: uh, influenza died without any proper burial. Uh, So nothing by church or family. Most of the dead in the township were single men who came to America to earn money for their families. They were still overseas. And uh, actually kind of a tie into the limestone industry. I see a note here saying hydrated lime was used to speed up the decomposition of corpses. That's a pretty caustic substance. So, eh, tying back into how people were disposed of, it was it was really bad. I remember growing up with a little uh kind of nursery rhyme. This isn't it in full, but I remember there's it goes on beyond this verse. But it's like open the window and influenza, like actually flu influenza. I don't know so much about American medical history at this time, but again, borrowing from those other shows I've been watching lately. A lot of medicine at this time was terribly understood for how sickness spread. Um, a lot of the thinking was that miasmas spread disease, which would be like n- nasty smells. And there's some truth to that, that like feces, decomposing corpses, all that stuff does mm-hmm. tend to be hotbeds for disease and infection to be rampant there. But there was a misunderstanding, at least I don't know if it had gone out the window by 1918, but uh, just the idea of if you could smell a nasty smell, you were in risk of being infected that way. And and I know in England that goes back to the idea that people thought around then that all of your pores on your body, like all of your skin was involved in the respiratory process. And there were some failed experiments that made them think that. Um, sadly, I've heard of one of, of people painting a horse and the paint, killed it through other means but they thought it closed the pores on the horse and that's what they thought killed it so that's actual kind of like medical trade that was going on that like led them to this thinking (laughs) so you can see it wasn't just totally it wasn't just totally people uh making shit up if you will it was experiments that didn't get them the whole way there and 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 before people go Mm -hmm. and you know think oh stupid 1918 people or something like that I'm sure in 100 years or even 20 years, people are going to look back at the the 90s, the 2000s and, you know, 2020s and be like, holy crap, those idiots thought, I don't know, that taking Advil was a good thing or like whatever they're going to look at and (laughs) say, you guys are all poisoning yourselves. What are you doing? Like, I'm sure we're all in there's there's got to be something there always historically has been something in the home that is Mm -hmm. a common killer and we all use it and think it's a a saintly sort of deal Um, whether it's like lead you know people thinking lead paint was good or whatever mercury on your your hat or radioactive substances isotopes on your wristwatch to make them glow whatever it is through history (laughs) humans have always embedded a toxic element into their lives. So I just say that out loud so that people don't look back and go, what idiots? It's just that knowledge is cumulative. And uh, as we can see right now, there's always a war on knowledge too. So Uh it does tend to get lost because people want it to be lost. They'd rather think that. I don't know, something else is going to save them.
1: It's very true, though, because, you know, you think about how the medical system has changed over the years and, you know, you think, oh, well, even just looking at like psychology, for instance, about the fact that, you know, women were plagued to be hysterical because of the fact that, I don't know, they had something actually wrong with them. But no, they're just hysterical and they were you know, either locked up given lobotomies and all sorts of other terrible things happened to them. But that was the scientific fact of that time. Now we look back and go, oh my God, y'all were insane. Why did you do this? But the truth is at the time period, it was cutting edge. So, you know, like you were saying, you know, 20, 50 years from now, what we do now may not be cutting edge anymore. It may literally be completely redundant and so terrible. And they look back at us and go, y'all were idiots. Yeah. I can't believe you did that. But that's how we evolve as humans. We evolve in our knowledge and we experiment and we learn. And, you know, it kind of breaks my heart for the horse that got painted and died. But ultimately, it was part of experiments. They had to see what was going on. Now we do things differently nowadays, but we still end up doing things that seem a little outlandish. But at the same time, it's not outlandish because we're just trying to figure things out. And the only way you can do that is by trial and error. So it's very sad to see the silly things that we look at now. Like, you know, they think that just breathing in any crazy smell will, you know, give you influenza. Now we know that that's not the case, that it's usually a respiratory thing through droplets and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, and that's how it spread. But at the time, they were probably really scared, especially because, you know, 60,000 people died, and if they were having 12 deaths a day, that was probably terrifying for them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's terrifying now living through this pandemic, but 12 deaths a day in just that state— Mm-hmm. not even talking about the country we're just talking about that state that's a lot a lot and, and it's, it's just wow
0: these areas i mean again i want to you know we say 12 deaths a day and it's uh, should be i mean reminded to folks that these towns were much much smaller than i mean just the population of the united states much much smaller so when you're losing 12 people a day that's a lot that's those scary numbers that can lead to towns drying up rather quickly and such of that sort you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like you could actually be losing a swath of a town also random fun fact before we move on from the smell note but that is where um if you see those plague doctor masks and you're all creeped out by them Mm -hmm. just a heads up folks those are um, not scary at all they are literally like that because at the end of the beak uh, they would fill it with herbs and such to uh prevent the stinky smells from getting to the nose. That's it. Sorry to demystify your plague doctor masks, but again, it's just an herb carrier. The nose usually had like a, a tray in there that you or satchel at the end that you'd fill with some mm-hmm. just good things from the garden. And that would hopefully block out the miasma. Didn't they
1: also um soak like cloth in like um like herb tinctures um and put them at the end of those masks as well
0: you could absolutely do that i i i've heard less of that myself but i don't doubt it for a single second because it would make it would work i i assume almost identically to, to that and in mm-hmm. fact I, I don't know that this is wonderfully his well i don't know if it's super scientific but i think that would actually work better potentially than just having raw dried herbs there. Because at least if you get a moist cloth in there, it might actually kind of prevent some of the droplets from progressing further. But... I'm no scientist and mm-hmm. I'm not recommending you whip out a plague doctor mask because it didn't save people.
1: I mean, it would be stylish. <laughs> yeah, it'd be stylish,
0: especially <laughs> Halloween approaches. But uh, yeah, I don't think it saved any. And a lot of those people, a lot of those plague doctors died. Because um, again, that yeah. wasn't what was going on. So misinformation about history, it's a tricky one. But it's, it's fascinating to look back that we really haven't changed. Uh, we really, as humans, have not changed at all. Yeah. Uh, I, we always go through the same exact sort of things. We, we our technology advances a little bit, our understanding advances a little bit, but at the end of the day, humans are humans, and we're always trying weird stuff. Um, so it's it's very it's a lot. Sixty thousand people dying in the area is 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 a huge 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 number. Moving a little bit mm-hmm. further down our is. list here about the Black Cross itself it says farmer named uh, McLaughlin, I think McLaughlin might be the pronunciation, donated a field as a final resting place for these immigrants. The locals that had died, you know, we, we mentioned quite a few, but local lore has it that he donated these because a wagon full of bodies got stuck in the mud in front of his field on its way to Colesville. I heard this one myself this is what i grew up understanding this black cross cemetery had to do with a wagon full of bodies getting stuck or breaking down uh it says here there are as many as 20 bodies per grave grave being in quotes because this was a kind of a mass pit a quick burial was a hope to stop the spread of sickness there's one headstone in the cemetery belonging to frank bachin bach bachish bachish Boshish Boshish. <laughs> I don't really know. These names Bosch-ish. are unfamiliar <laughs> to me, actually. I, you know, having grew up in the area, the Boshish name is not familiar to me. There's not an exact number of people buried there, but it does range into the thousands all on its own, which shocked me because uh, yeah, this this place has gotten some notoriety in the last couple well, the last year with COVID coming out. There's been more articles written on it. So we might have some of those linked for you guys as well. It says, Father O'Callaghan from Colesville commissioned a large cross made of railroad ties to mark the site. He believed they deserved a proper burial. The area is now owned by Armstrong Cement and Supply. And after the original cross deteriorated, a white cement cross was erected in 2002 by the Saxonburg District Women's Club. This is also something I seem to remember because I, I was around and kicking then. And I, this is probably when I first heard about it was the installment of that new cross. They also erected a plaque there that reads, here are buried an unknown number of local victims of the worldwide influenza epidemic of 1918 to 1919, one of history's worst epidemics in terms of death. In Butler County, the worst period was early October to early November 1918, with some 260 deaths in the county seat of, alone immigrant workers in the limestone and other industries are buried in the cemetery with one to five bodies in each grave a large wooden cross marked the site and black so we can see 260 deaths in the county seat alone and we know that that's mm-hmm. not including the immigrant counts which were again men that had come over here without family, hoping to send money back home and bring family members over. It's a it's a dark and scary tale of the area, a reminder of how again we do not take care of people who uh, do some of the hardest work in this country. You know the people mm-hmm. that that work and toil and arguably slave. I mean, it's it's just a different type of slave labor, if you will. They slave away in these conditions and are the unsung builders of our country, really.
1: That's just kind of all true. culminated in one spot. It's very true. And it's probably, there's probably also a lot of lacking information about these immigrant workers of who they actually were. Um, because, you know, if you have a large influx of immigrants, like we did during that time period, probably a lot of them didn't have documentation, or if they did, it was very minimal And so, yeah, these people will probably never be remembered Mm -hmm. um, other than just a another body in this grave. And the fact that they don't know exactly how many bodies are there is really, really sad. It's a really sad time period for that area.
0: It absolutely is. And when we look at the paranormal claims, this stuff really, really stands out to me of, of some of the things we just talked about. So, generally, around the Black Cross itself, there are claims of hearing someone speaking Italian from the ground. Tons of sense, given that this is an immigrant population. There are claims of babies crying out. There uh, is a sound of howling that can be heard coming from the burial mound. Also, paranormal mists and cold spots have been felt. And a strong scent of flowers can be smelt near that cross. I think that one in particular, the flower stands out to me going off that miasma kind of idea that mm-hmm. I really wonder, you know, if that, if that's kind of a hearkening back to people trying to use smells to keep things away. Also says you can hear
1: probably s- yeah. sounds
0: of the forest as you walk up, but it gets strangely silent when you get closer to that cross. Now, that's kind of one I want to, like, talk to you about a little bit more, Peg, in that one, the hearing babies cry and the howling, because those mm-hmm. are, especially the baby crying one, common to a lot of different paranormal phenomena.
1: I'm curious to get your it thoughts on that. It is common to a lot of uh, different paranormal phenomenon. So the interesting thing, like, the forest one, I would love to experiment with that one, especially, you know, if... You ever just want to walk up there and see if you can hear it and if it's true, that would be cool to see. Uh, but the the babies and the howl the howling one stands out the most to me because I want to know what kind of howling. Are we talking like dog howling, wolf howling, um, cat howling, uh, or just some eerie howling sound that doesn't have and I guess you could say an origin to it. That That's a very interesting. Or are we even talking about howling of like people who have died, like they are mourning people? That's the other thing that comes to mind. There's a whole lot that comes with this that it would be interesting to try to hear some of this, but also at the same time, there's so much there that you know that there's got to be at least some sort of spirit activity that is either residual of people living it, like the the residual memory of it being there, or even just spirits that are genuinely at unrest, and probably even more so at unrest in the fact that we're going through another pandemic right now, literally almost identically a hundred years later. So it it's very interesting to me how that plays out. Uh, the strong scent of flowers, I think probably they would, at least in my opinion, would probably be burying a lot of those bodies with flowers to try to combat the smell of decomp.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I mean, I think a lot of that lime that they were using and stuff, I don't, I, do, I actually would be curious to to learn a little bit more of that, if they would bury people with flowers or not, because... I, I imagine the lime would kind of burn most of that stuff up. But I yeah, it's a really interesting thought. I, I, it's absolutely like you said, the, the idea of a pandemic coming through probably spices that area up a lot more. I don't know if this area is so accessible anymore. And I don't know that I I don't think I would go out there and try and do anything with it because... Mm-hmm. Not my area, not my, uh, you know me, I don't believe in investigating places yeah. in person. I, I don't, I, I strongly to our own audience, I don't think you should be out investigating stuff. Even in this world, it's it's not to me the area. I think it's all your connection with the energies yourself. So I think you can mm-hmm. tap into any of these things at your own place. I think it's both safer for you. It's very, it's a lot more respectful for some of the spirits too. But I don't doubt that we would easily get some of these spirits kind of walking through some of our future seances and stuff just because of how much connection the land would have on its own. And I think we could easily try, you know, asking some pointed questions about that in one of our upcoming seances to see, you know, if if that's the case, to see if any of those people came through. um, I don't know. It's so hard to say. I want to know when that doctor's office was actually in the house, because that would give us a lot Mm -hmm. better of an idea of if he actually was practicing during that specific time or you know maybe he wasn't and it was kind of offset just a little bit
1: but it is something i urge that would be very interesting
0: people to have a lot of respect with because again these are uh this is this is this is serious history here it, it's again why i go back to the idea that no one should be in person investigating places it's just i can't see that field as remotely responsible or respectful these days um Because just there's so much damage done to it. And so I wouldn't want people going out to this place and and trying to do that either. I think, uh, I don't think you're going to have any good luck with that anyway. Also, there are negative um, things attributed to it that I don't see here in the notes, but uh, talk of red eyes in the woods and things like that, kind of growling and stuff, trying to get people to leave. So I would say from the other kind of stories, whether those are real or not, it does seem like. I think it should probably be left alone and left in peace is the vibe I strongly get from it myself.
1: But again, I think that I um, find that very interesting too. I Oh man, there's so much cool stuff about this from the paranormal, like, you know, the paranormal enthusiast to me that is excited about all of that activity. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like there's something that's there that's saying, don't go, don't, investigate this leave it be it's a place of respect and the growling in the red eyes is more of a warning of back off
0: yes yeah i don't think there's anything i mean we know the true evil in this case in this story we know it Mm -hmm. it's man it's it's men and just choosing not to care you want to know the the most evil thing on the planet it's your fellow human that you know is right now probably trying to get oh, your gosh, state yes. senator spot or something <laughs> like that right like those are the most evil people on the planet are or, or like uh, politicians that don't care about the covid crisis and all that you don't need to seek out demons to get your scaries just open a newspaper and be like oh my god why do you hate us so much why do you divert toxic water supplies in like flint michigan and all that like again i don't think any of the evil out there has to do uh with any kind of spooky scary that you should go and investigate in this case i definitely agree do you think it's more of a hey leave this alone this isn't for you it's not for kids to come and like kind of have keggers in the woods at it you know what i mean like it's not mm-hmm. it doesn't i don't think it wants that sort of energy that's just my take on it but i don't know I, I admit the whole pandemic's really our pandemic of 2020 and beyond has really changed my way of looking at the paranormal. Um yes because again i think a lot of the time a lot of people want to go and seek out something scary but i'm like i think there's just more dead people just just spirits than anything else trying to probably find some peace
1: but that's just probably me. or just trying to tell their story mm-hmm. so that they're not forgotten you know maybe they they felt like they died too young and they just want to know their you know have somebody say i remember you it's okay you're not going to be a forgotten soul. And I think that's ultimately what all people want and why we strive for greatness and fame and all the other stuff that we strive for while we're alive. I think that that's something that we just don't want to be forgotten and we want to be respected and cared about. And depending, you know, the the people that have died in this grave alone, the Black Cross grave, They kind of were almost in a way forgotten, but at the same time, they weren't forgotten. And I say that they were forgotten because of the fact that nobody knows their names. Nobody knows how many people are there. Uh, They were all just lumped together. And I get it. They were trying to combat, you know, the influenza. They were trying to keep it from spreading and killing more people. And I do understand that. But at the same time, these people shouldn't be forgotten. And so I'm very happy that, you know, the, the County or even the state put up that plaque to try to remember them, but they may just feel a little forgotten. And maybe that's why, um, some of the spirits, especially in your house, if they did die from this, uh, that they chose to stay there just because they don't want to be forgotten. They want to still have a place to be. And I think
0: that's so important to how we're handling the seances in this house is it's all meant to be extremely respectful and uh, really work their energies into what we're putting or what we're building in the future. When I say that, I mean, uh, we would talk to folks that our subscription tier up on the website, those things go into restoring the house historically and hopefully someday opening the doors to our members to come by and actually host in-person seances. Last night, we had great interest in that. Like Stacey, one of our amazing listeners and um, subscribers, she was talking like, I'd love to come out there when it's safe in the future to do that. Uh, And that's my goal. And it needs time anyway. This house isn't presentable in the the present. Like it needs work. It needs water damage fixed and all kinds of things like that. So no rush on my part to try and open the doors and do that, you know, pre-2022 by any means. But that's a conversation I have with the spirits of the house with intention setting is, you know, we're not in any way trying to exploit you, but we are trying to get you involved if you so choose. You don't have to. Um, the nice thing about having a schedule is I, I kind of just announced that to the house. I'm like, hey, guys, 6 p.m. today, we're going to, you know, 7 p.m. today, we're doing our our seance. If you want to come by, you can. If you don't want to, just Go into a different room of the house and don't feel like you have to communicate in any way, shape or form. But if you do come by, I'm like, here's a group of, you know, 15 or so people that are here for you with your best intentions at heart. And that's, again, goes back to the idea of investigating. There is something exploitative, I think, about going to sites and such versus like working with something. And and that's something I really want to talk to Katie Webb about further because – when we've talked to her about, um, was it the GRC, I think it was, um, mm-hmm. that they went there for an investigation, but it ended up turning into more of a repairing the land sort of thing as they as they did their thing. And, and Katie's very much in that way um, changed her tune about investigating. She's very much on the ethical home investigation side as well, that whatever you're doing should be for the betterment of the spirits, not to exploit them and, and rile them up um make your money and then leave sort of thing. And and, and that mm-hmm. means a lot to me here in this home that I don't plan on selling and I don't plan on leaving or anything of that degree. So I'm like, again, Spirits of the House, if you want to help us, if you want to communicate with folks, this is the community to do it with because they actually care about your well being, and um, hey, they want to fund the funding of, they want to fund your home coming back into a, a presentable, awesome, historic presentation as you guys would have wanted back in the day i say and gesture to the house wildly uh, so it's just been so fun i mean to to kind of see how people are interacting with this place and it's been really great and really i guess humbling might be the word um to go over all these notes that ashley got for us because I admit I had only heard rumor and such. This gives me a little bit more of a background in it as well uh, to hear other takes on on how this place was put together and presented the the, the, the cross itself, the township and beyond. Really, really excited mm-hmm. to see what we get in our future seances, Peg. And I can't wait for that.
1: I am, too. I'm very excited. Um, I am very honored to also talk with all of the spirits And entities that come through, um, whether it be through the portal, whether it be through the area, um, or anywhere else, any dimensional beings out there that want to communicate, I'm very open to it. And I'm very honored that they will take the time to communicate with us and share their knowledge and their wisdom of whatever they're going through or whatever's on the other side. Um, Like you and I discussed the other day, I'm all about making friends with whatever's beyond the veil because I feel like that we're all going to end up there regardless. So it's one of those things that, I really want to make some friends while I'm here, and hopefully my soul remembers it. And whenever I get to the other side, I will have friends on the other side to go party with. It'll be a good time. That's big. That
0: I so agree with that. I love
1: that you said <laughs> that.
0: It's absolutely how I look at it too. That you're actually trying to make friends instead of, uh, again, very much on the opposite of going into a place, riling it up, and never seeing them ever again. Don't like that. But mm-hmm. I love the idea of trying to make a meaningful connection. Uh, that benefits both parties, and that's that's what we're trying to do here. So, I at the end of this episode again would just urge people to get ready for our our uh just kind of next two three months worth of back to back seances as we we do that each Saturday. I want to remind people to uh, Michelle Bell and Jay said this that this is energy work, so be prepared that you might feel drained energetically after attending mm-hmm. seances or things like that because. You are putting energy forward, even for the House Keparu stuff. Her and I had a great exchange on Twitter where in the future, she says they're going to try and make up a little bit of an info thing for folks so they know uh, how draining this participating might be. I exchanged that Mm -hmm. with her, too. I was like, yeah, I didn't even really get to attend the stuff on Sunday, the third day, because I was just so exhausted, a bit of it on my part was moving, but a lot of it was just, you know, attending that seance or attending, I'm sorry, they're everything, but just the many lectures, but there was also energy work involved and it definitely can drain you. So I want to remind folks, if you come to our seances, it is a participatory thing. You can choose not to, if you would like, I mean, you can choose not to extend your energy. You can choose to just watch and not chat, but we always love having people kind of focus their intent on stuff. Oh, for this week, we do have a number uh, a focus number, mm-hmm. so let me find that really quickly, okay, is this it? Is it the ten
1: no uh, yeah, it's ten zero two dash ten thirteen that's it, so it's ten o two dash ten thirteen that is our focus number um we did a fun thing that I learned from uh Kiki. Uh, Dombrowski in her book uh, *A Curious Future* about dice divination, and so we played around with some dice last night, and the dice actually helped us come up with our focus number for next week. So, uh, if that's something that you want to focus on, and when you come to the next seance, you can bring that wonderful energy and that focus with you, and we're gonna have a grand time talking to whatever's ready to talk to us and teach us a- their ways and have a good conversation.
0: Seriously, that's all we want. So send your good good energy, your good advice to 1002-1013. If you need more advice on that, that's a focus number. So you're just going to kind of keep that number in the back of your mind. Think about it, you know, every once in a while. Um, if you want, you could write that number down and put it somewhere um, that you like to or that you see often and kind of just send good vibes that way. Good vibes of open communication, good vibes of uh, connection with the entities in the future, whatever they might be. But that's the way that kind of works is it's just giving people a number to focus on. Um, Let's you channel some energy to a spot without having like all the specific latitude longitude and all that other stuff this is just kind of a generic number that will focus so pagan pulled that one out through the divination of the dice which is really really awesome we hope to get kiki by here on chaos and shadows she did a wonderful interview with pagan on pagan's witchy corner you can find that link um, in all your podcast players but pagan did a post for that on the revelator network site so you can just go over to our yes. news tab On Tuesday, uh, that would be August uh, 17th, I should have a post going up there on the blog about this upcoming seance for the 21st. That should have a little bit more information. We should be sitting down with Katie Webb on the 16th to do some pre-prep and planning. So that stuff might go into that post on the 17th. Uh, we got some other stuff coming out this week I should call out as well. We're going to have some bonus content for members. If you're a $5 member or above at revelatornetwork.com forward slash subscribe, you're going to be able to access that bonus feed. Um, That should come out sometime probably around the 18th or 19th. On the 20th, uh, we are taking one of our older blog posts about our seances in salt lake city and that's gonna go live for everybody on the 20th that came comes out live um, publicly a month after we actually posted that exclusive to members so you guys are gonna get to check that one out if you haven't seen it weren't there to participate i want to also throw in there that i've got a brand new literally brand new brand spanking new youtube channel going my haunted victorian home it's a tour of the house that's up there And I'm going to try and add to that on a weekly basis. So if you want to go over there, seriously, the likes, the comments, the subscribes, that all matters to the YouTube algorithm. So give it some loving. Uh, It would be really, really fun to have your insight on it. We've got a great members from our community go over there and kind of rave about it. I think the next tour might be one of the basement. So for all the folks, that one is going to probably give some people, I don't know, nightmares. I've showed a picture of it lightly on Twitter and people were very spooked by it. So We'll see if that one scares people or not. But I'm more concerned about the stinky moldy stuff down there that I've been chucking outside because the basement <laughs> does flood and it, yeah. And people left stuff laying on the floor. So I'm, I've am i been chucking oh, out yucky. bins. Yeah. It's, I found a, a destroyed shop vac down there the other day because it was just sitting in water. And I'm like, what the crap? Ew. I know. Ah, be good to your basements and your homes, folks. The damage adds up um so yeah i think that i feel pretty good about leaving it here i've had a lot of fun chit-chatting about this a huge shout out to ashley for Mm -hmm. pulling together all these notes for us this week and in the future we're going to try and dive deeper 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 onto the house's history we're going to need to probably start hitting up some uh record offices and things like that to see what we can pull find out if we can see when dr scott actually had a practice here Um, aside from the really cool sign that we got to use last night as a focus but
1: yeah. That's that our plan. Really cool. Definitely.
0: Twitch.tv forward slash Kyle Paranormal for the next couple seances every Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern, RevelatorNetwork.com for all the other things, and RevelatorNetwork.com forward slash gilded to get into our chat servers. You can hang out with us, ask us questions, and just generally get involved with the community over there because it's full of amazing folks who are respectful of paranormal and love to investigate in this really cool, really ethical style. So if that's your jam. Get involved. Oh, I, sorry, I've broken record here, but one last thing to shout out, that is to say loosely, we are meeting on Monday to start planning efforts for a Trevor Project charity. Trevor Project mm-hmm. is an LGBT plus uh, youth kind of protection group that works with um, kind of suicidal stuff and prevention there works with kids that have been kicked out of their home and trying to, you know, get them some sort of footing in this world. Cause we still live in a world where again, we got evil parents who kick their kids out of their home. Cause they're not, straight and proper. So again, that's what we're up against. That's what we work against, is that sort of stuff. Um so if you want to get involved with this charity, either as someone that is just donating money to it. If you want to help us with the planning side, if you want to donate any kind of pieces, we're looking at maybe auctioning some stuff off. I know that we're going to look at giving a chunk of our subscriber revenue in October to that. So um we'll Mm -hmm. have more details that we've done that before. But just stay tuned. It's going to be really, really fun. I think that's going to be all for me this week, Peg. And anything you need to shout out at the end here?
1: Please, uh, no, other than uh, go check out the interview with Kiki. It is live right now. Uh, it's the first part of the divination series I'm doing over on pagan Switchy Corner. And other than that, uh, we will see you guys for the seance on the 21st. That's Have a great, great weekend, everybody. Stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye. bye Bye-bye.